go ahead and get started today. We're going to be continuing our series on <clears throat> using the law lawfully, looking at the Old Testament laws to see which of them apply to us as Gentile uh, believers, if any of them do, seeing how they apply. So today we're going to look at at least one, maybe two uh, different laws, depending on how the time goes. But we're going to be in Leviticus 18. <clears throat> to begin with, Leviticus 18 and verse number 6. <clears throat> Leviticus 18 and verse 6. None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. So here we have the Old Testament command against incest, and the Jews were, <clears throat> excuse me, the Jews were forbidden from engaging in intercourse with people that were of near kin. And so we have this prohibition given in Leviticus 18. It's also repeated in Leviticus 20, and uh, also in Deuteronomy. Uh, we're not going to go to Leviticus 20 just yet. We'll get there because that gives the punishment in that uh, that chapter. Here in Leviticus 18, we have the sin of incest defined, and it's uh, codified and, and put all into one uh, statement here, explaining exactly what is meant by this sin of incest, by uh, approaching any that is near or kin to him to uncover their nakedness. That's spelled out for us in the next um, eight or nine verses here. So verse number seven, the nakedness of thy father or the nakedness of thy mother, thou shalt not uncover. She is thy mother, thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. First we have the father and the mother, no intercourse with father or mother. Verse number 8, the nakedness of thy father's wife, thou shalt not uncover. It is thy father's nakedness. The nakedness of thy sister, the daughter of thy father or the daughter of thy mother. Whether she be born at home or born abroad, even their nakedness thou shalt not uncover. The nakedness of thy son's daughter or of thy daughter's daughter, even their nakedness thou shalt not uncover, for theirs is thine own nakedness. The nakedness of thy father's wife's daughter, begotten of thy father, she is thy sister, thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy father's sister, she is thy father's near kinswoman. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy mother's sister, she is thy mother's near kinswoman. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy father's brother, thou shalt not approach unto uh, his wife, she is thine aunt. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy daughter-in-law. She is thy son's wife. <laughs> thou shalt not uncover, uh, last one here, thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of a woman, or no, sorry, starting at verse 16. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy brother's wife. It is thy brother's nakedness. So here we have, we're in uh, Leviticus 18. Yeah, Leviticus 18, 6 through 16. We have the whole law against incest spelled out. It's not a uh, sin that's very common in America today at all, by any, by any means, fortunately. It was a sin that was common in the lands that Israel was occupying, the lands of Canaan. You know, all those nations is very common sin. Uh, it's a very common sin throughout most of human history. Uh, we have a lot of the uh, Roman leadership was involved in incest um, so it's, and it's, it's getting to be uh, more common in America than it used to be it's getting to where it's it's rearing its ugly head up in, into American society now um, but at this point it's still very much frowned on in America but 
This is the Old Testament command against incest. The Jews were forbidden from engaging in any type of intercourse uh, with people that were of near kin. Now, it's interesting as we're reading through this. Well, let's, let's go to Leviticus 20 first. Leviticus 20, uh, verse number 11. And there's a difference in the way it's said in Leviticus 20 and in the way it's mentioned in Leviticus 18. And that difference doesn't really tell us much about the command against incest, but it does tell us about some other things. Uh, verse number 11, Leviticus 20. And the man that lieth with his father's wife hath uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death, their blood shall be upon them. And if a man lie with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have wrought confusion, their blood shall be upon them. Upon them. And it goes on, it's intermixed with other laws. But throughout Leviticus 20, we've got this reference to incest also. And it says the punishment is going to be death. So the punishment for violating this law was a punishment of death. It was a capital offense. <clears throat> but it's interesting in Leviticus 20, we have the phrase, the man that lieth with. And if a man lie with. But in Leviticus 18, we don't have that phrase. It's In Leviticus 18, it's simply uncovering the nakedness. And we can see in Scripture, this idea of uncovering someone's nakedness had the same uh, effect as laying with them, having intercourse with that person. Uh, and so really doesn't tell us much about the, the sin of incest. It just shows us that in the Bible, God equates viewing someone naked as the same thing as having sexual intercourse with them. Uh, it implies that nakedness is to be reserved for the marital relationship. Uh, it's also is the legal grounds for Christ's statement in the New Testament where he said, if any man look on a woman to lust after her, he had committed adultery with her already in his heart. That is based off of this Old Testament law, talking about the uncovering the nakedness being equated with going ahead and having intercourse with someone. So uncover the nakedness could be either or. Either so, or. Well, like just seeing their nakedness or actually intercourse. Right. Yeah, it's, it's that same phrase is used for both. Uh, I didn't know that. And so in God's mind, the, the two are related. So that's that's where we get the grounds for saying that pornography is wrong and, and things like that because there's nowhere in Scripture where it specifically says pornography is a sin. But you can see it fairly clearly implied from the fact that every time that the Bible talks about nakedness being outside of the marital relationship, it's always negative and it's often equated with sexual intercourse, and the two are used interchangeably, talking about uncovering the nakedness versus uh, intercourse. And so it's something we can learn from this commandment. It doesn't really have anything to do with with the commandment against incest, but it is something that we can learn and we can apply uh, to our lives, that God equates those two terms. And it's the grounds uh, for Christ's statement about committing adultery. Uh, when you uh, look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. That whole passage where Christ is talking, the, the Sermon on the Mount, the whole passage Christ is explaining the law. He's not giving a new law. Many Christians think he's giving a new law there in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it hath been said such and such, but I say unto you this. What he's doing is he's explaining the old law 
and given clarity to the old law. And everything he says in that Sermon on the Mount can be traced back to something in the Old Testament uh, where he's drawing that principle from. Uh, so that this is the source where Christ traced that particular statement from the Sermon on the Mount about committing adultery if you lust after a woman. He's tracing that from uh, Leviticus 18 where it talks about uh, uncovering their nakedness. All right, anyway, that's a side note. Uh, but we can see the Jews were forbidden from engaging in intercourse with people of near kin. Uh, that is very clearly spelled out here in Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20. Uh, the New Testament application. And the New Testament incest is, first of all, assumed to still be a very terrible sin. Uh, not just any old sin. This is a heinous sin, and a heinous crime in the New Testament. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And remember, uh, intercourse with the father's wife, that was one of the things that was prohibited by the law against incest uh, in Leviticus 18. So that's what's taking place here. You have incest uh, taking place, a man with his father's wife. And look at verse number two. This is this just blows my mind. But you know, the more I'm exposed to uh, the, the more liberal aspects of the Christian community here, even in, in Alabama, uh, the more this, or the less this really befuddles me. But the, the situation, I have someone involved in incest, and Paul says of the church, and ye are puffed up. They're proud of that. They have a member in their church who's committing incest, and they're proud of it. And have not rather mourned that he that hath done this thing might be taken, or done this deed, might be taken away from among you. And, you know, it's hard to imagine how they could be proud that they have this man in this horrible sin that's in their church. But if you think about it, uh, a lot of the liberal churches are pride themselves on being a come as you are, and you know you're never going to feel sorry about your sin here. We're going to love you no matter what. You know, we're we're going to sure we'll we'll tell you that what you're doing is wrong, but we're not going to judge you. We're not going to have any type of punishment against you. We're we're just going to love you no matter what, and hopefully our love will overcome your sin, and you'll you know, eventually grow out of it and and become a better person. That's, that's the attitude of a lot of the, the more liberal churches in our day. I'm imagining that's probably the attitude they had here in Corinth, that they're thinking, we just love this guy no matter what. Sure, it's, it's a terrible sin, but the, the heinousness of his sin just shows the greatness of our love, that we're able to love him even in that, and we're not judging him uh, even, in, even with a sin so terrible. And so isn't our love so great? we're able to love someone that's committed such a terrible sin. And I can, I can see some of our uh, liberal churches here in Birmingham having that type of an attitude towards something like this. Uh, but Paul said, this is terrible. This is not something you should uh, be excited about and proud of. This is something you should be mourning about uh, and that you should want this person taken away from among you. And so 
the implication here is that incest is still assumed to be a terrible sin. He doesn't come right out here and say, thou shalt not commit incest. But he does say, here's a situation. This is fornication. Uh, this should be terrible. This person should be taken away from you. Now, the, the punishment that Paul outlines for what should be done for this individual shows us the punishment that uh, should be applied by churches toward Christians who are involved in this type of a sin. And that punishment is excommunication, being kicked out of the church. We see that starting in verse 3. For I verily, as absent in body but present in spirit, have judged already. So there goes the whole thing of, you know, judge not. You're not supposed to judge anyone. Paul's judging, and he's not even there. He's saying, I'm not even with you, and I can go ahead and give you a judgment on this. Here, this is what I have judged, as though I were present, concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So you're kicking him out of the church, giving him over to Satan. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle, and this is a, he's referring to a former letter that's not scriptural, it's just one that he wrote to the church and he's referring to it. I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators. So he said at the beginning, this man is committing fornication. He's reminding them, I wrote unto you back then, you're not even to keep company with fornicators. <clears throat> Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. And what he's saying is, you're not supposed to be staying with, you know, having any type of uh, fellowship with fornicators, people that are covetous, people that are extortioners, people that are idolaters. You're not supposed to have any fellowship with those people. It doesn't mean you don't work with them on the job. It doesn't mean you don't uh, attend a ball game with you know, a lost man who happens to, to be this way. You don't ever uh, spend time with your neighbor who's lost. Or is this, he says not necessarily with uh, the ones that are in the world, the ones that are lost. But, verse number 11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. So, if any man is a, a brother in Christ, or at least claims to be a brother in Christ, and if he is involved in this, you're not to keep company with him at all. You don't even eat with him, you don't do anything with him. He's to be anathema to you. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Okay, and so here we have a man who's engaged in the sin of incest. Uh, the church is proud about it, that they're able to love this guy anyway and still have him as a member of the church and not judge him. And Paul says, okay, if you won't judge him, I'll judge him. My judgment is that man should be kicked out. Put away from yourselves that, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And so that is the punishment that God describes for Christians to use against people that are involved in incest and the church. Now, in the Old Testament, you had the death penalty 
uh, for incest, but the death penalty is a civil punishment to be carried out by the civil government. That's not something that's to be carried out by the church. The church has never been given any authority to carry out capital punishment. Church's authority, as far as punishing, is the authority to kick people out of the church, uh, to go to them. You know, you have the whole passage about if a brother uh, has offended you, you go to him, and if you can, excuse me, try to win your brother back. If he won't listen to you, you take uh, some witnesses and let him uh, be confronted by the witnesses. Excuse me again, <clears throat> and if. Uh, you won't hear the witnesses, you bring it to the whole church. If you won't hear the church, then he's to be kicked out of the church. And so that's the, the process for punishment within the church uh, for these types of, of offenses, these types of sins. So if the church is not to be involved in administering capital punishment. That is a civil responsibility, not the church's responsibility. So when the civil government allows condemnable actions to be legal, the church should use internal judgment with the penalty of excommunication against those who commit these types of actions. And that's what we see Paul describing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, we can't leave it there. We have to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> the Corinthians did follow Paul's judgment, and they did kick the man out. And 2 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us after they kicked him out, he then repented and was wanting to get back into the church, and they were saying, no, you were kicked out of the church. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. And so after they've been penalized and they repent, then you can bring the forgiveness and you can bring them back in the church. And then the church can be uh, proud of the fact that they are willing to forgive this person even though they committed this heinous sin. You don't have the forgiveness and the non-judgment when the person's not repentant. You have to, when they're not repentant, you have to have the judgment uh, against them. And then when they repent, then you can bring in the forgiveness and you can overlook their sin and still count them as a brother in Christ. And so that's what we find uh, in this situation in uh, the church at Corinth. So in the New Testament, we see, first of all, that incest is still assumed to be a terrible sin, that the punishment for Christians involved in this uh, sin is excommunication. Uh, however, if someone repents, then they're to be allowed back into the church and restored to fellowship. Now, we can also see from this passage in in 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about this being a fornication that is not even so much as named among the Gentiles, that incest is in that category of sins that are labeled as fornication, which should be common sense. The very definition of fornication is um, basically sexual perversion. Um, so that's incest would be a perverted uh, form of sexuality, so that falls under fornication. And we can see that the crime of fornication or the sin of fornication is prohibited to Christians. Let's look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So all of the sins that fall into the category of fornication are forbidden to Christians and they are expressly forbidden in the New Testament. 
And so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Yes. On that first part, he acknowledges there was a fornicator in the church. Okay, and so in that case, we have to assume that that person was not having this relationship with another person in the church. Is that correct? I notice he addresses one, but not the other. Well, the second person is a, a woman, and it's, uh, if you'll notice... In she, the, is she part of that church also? Well, we don't know. It doesn't okay, say if she's part of the church exactly. also or not. Right. So in which case... But we can't, right. Right, we can't exclude the possibility that she is. Right. Uh, because in the Old Testament law, every time that there's a punishment for something like this, like we'll look at adultery in, in a couple of weeks here, um, with the, the man and the woman caught in adultery, the man is always the principal violator, the, the principal mm -hmm. offender. And the woman is considered an accomplice. And the way the law is worded, if you don't punish the, or the, the trial is of the principal, that's the one that's brought to trial. And the woman that's involved uh, receives the punishment as a result of being with the principal offender. So with adultery, just getting ahead of ourselves here, um, the man and the woman that are caught in adultery, the man is to be tried by a jury of his peers, and if he's found guilty, then the man and the woman are to be put to death. That's the formula that's given in the Old Testament. So in this case, the man would be tried before the church, found guilty of incest, and then the man and the woman would be punished by being kicked out. Um, if you follow if that same formula. If she's just a member, yeah. And she may not have been a member, but the mere fact that she's not mentioned uh, could just be that Paul's following that Old Testament formula. I know a lot of people want to say, well, how come they only punish the woman? You know right. Right, you yeah. Hear you hear that a lot. Yeah. Um, but that's completely foreign to Scripture. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah the, the formula in, in the Old Testament was always that the man was punished and the woman was punished along with him if she was involved. But it was the, the man who uh, bore the uh, burden of responsibility there. Which, you know, today, when we talk about abortion, it's always about the woman. Right. But never about the man. Right. Well, which is a problem. Now, see, in, uh, in something like abortion, where you're talking about murder, mm -hmm. um, there the woman, it's not a, a uh, sexual sin, so that the, the woman would be tried along with the man, or the, you know, the woman would just be punished along with the man. Here she is the principal. So she would receive her own trial. And there are places in Scripture where the woman is the principal offender and receives her own trial. But where there is a man involved. I guess what I'm trying to say is that in most cases it takes two to tango. Right. And so, I mean, I'm sure, and I haven't, I haven't found it, I haven't studied it yet, but I'm sure that somewhere biblically, you know, the guy does sleep with women. And I think we've gone through all this. He should be responsible for that ruling right. and that child. Yes, he's supposed to be responsible okay. yeah, for um, a child born out of wedlock if the if it's not adultery with another man's wife. If it's right. just um, a man with a, a single young lady. Um, he is to take her, according to the Old Testament law, he's to take her. That, right, we covered that, I think, a little bit. Yeah. 
yeah, we're not seeing that at all. But yes, the responsibility of the father is completely abandoned in American society. All right. Right. Yeah. That's because they don't want the responsibility. Yeah. All right. So let's let's get back here to uh, to incest. It's, it would be condemned under the fact that it is uh, listed in the category of sins labeled as fornication. Uh, we see that in verse number eighteen of First Corinthians six. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay, and so here we have right at the beginning, flee fornication. So and it talks about every sin and fornication is a uh, sin that's committed against the man's own body, showing that it is a sin even for New Testament believers. Uh, and so incest would fit in with that category of fornication. Now let's go also to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. So here we have again, this fornication is not to be once named among you as saints. So we can see incest being included in the category of fornication. It would be expressly forbidden uh, for New Testament believers. So this law, the Old Testament law against incest, is a law that applies to us as New Testament believers, uh, even though we're, we're Gentiles. Any comments or questions on that one? All right, let's go back to Leviticus 18. We'll look at another one just very quickly here. Leviticus 18 and verse 23 is where we find the prohibition against bestiality. Leviticus 18:23. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith, neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. And again, let's turn over to Leviticus chapter 20 to see the punishment. Leviticus 20 and verse number 15. If a man lie with a beast, he shall surely be put to death, and ye shall slay the beast. And if a woman approach unto any beast and lie down thereto, thou shalt kill the woman and the beast. They shall surely uh, be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Okay, so here we have bestiality was condemned in the Old Testament. Jews were forbidden from any type of sexual intercourse with animals, and the punishment was death. That's repeated again in Exodus and also in Deuteronomy, the same command and punishment. Uh, so it's very clear that this, this was the law in the Old Testament. The Jews were forbidden from any type of bestiality. Um, unfortunately, that's one that's uh, coming back a little bit in America. It is uh, mocked quite a bit in the film industry. There's a lot of films that, that kind of make fun of this idea of bestiality as if it's just some kind of joke. Uh, and uh, it's, Unfortunately, it's something that through mockery is coming back into American culture and uh, something that, again, could 
bring God's judgment against us because God did say that anyone, any nation involved in this is going to face his judgment. Uh, it's so minor, though, compared to many of the other things that we're facing for God's judgment. It doesn't deserve a whole lot of time, uh, but it is something that should be mentioned. Uh, let's look at the New Testament application here. And the first thing we see is that this is not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament unless you consider that it is it falls into the category of fornication, which we would say it does fall into the category of fornication just based on the definition of the word and, and what that word means. There are some people who would say, you know, well, not necessarily fornication only applies to uh, interactions between humans. Fornication doesn't apply to interactions with animals. So they don't really have any grounds for that, but you know, some people uh, do say that. But we can look at Leviticus 18 and verse 24. And we can see that this is a universal commandment. The commands that were given in Leviticus 18 and in Leviticus 20. 18 gives the commands, 20 gives the punishments for them. So the, the sins that were given in those two chapters, those commandments are universal commandments. Verse 24, To file not ye, ye yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. And the land is defiled. Therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. That the land spew not you out also where, when you defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you, for whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore shall you keep mine ordinances, uh, mine ordinance that you commit not any one of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that you defile not yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God. Okay, and so here we have a very lengthy uh, statement from God explaining that these commandments, these laws, are natural laws. And violation of these natural laws has a natural result. The land itself vomiteth out the inhabitants. God's saying, I didn't have to do this. I didn't have to bring anyone in to fight these people. The land itself was already vomiting them out as a result of their violations of these natural laws. Uh, the land itself was defiled. Uh, and if you do this, the land is going to spew you out also. So God is explaining very clearly here that these commandments are not just for the nation of Israel. These commandments are universal commandments. They are part of the natural law that God established when he created the world. Uh, and violation of these natural laws brings about natural results. Uh, just through the course of, of nature, if you violate these laws, a nation that violates these laws is going to be destroyed. That's what God is saying. In those passages. Um, so we can take from that and see that it applies to us even now, uh, regardless of who you're talking about, whether Jew or Gentile, regardless of any time, whether past, present, or future. This will always, these things described in this chapter will always be sinful, they will always be wrong, they will always be a violation of God's natural law and the order that He established, and they'll always produce negative results in a society. All right, so that's the command against bestiality.
Any comments or questions on that one? All right. Well, that's all we're going to look at today because the next couple are going to be a little more involved and going to take more time than we have left. So we'll go ahead and stop there. Uh, Jared, why don't you close us in prayer today?